and enjoying yourselves with your family and the fellowship and, you know, um, uh, just because Christmas is not about the gifts that we get, but it's about the gift of Jesus being our Savior. And um, we were sitting around the table. Amen. It's all right. You can clap. We were sitting around the table and just uh, with my family yesterday and just thanking God. I was just thanking God for my grandchildren and my children and and uh, just, you know, the hand of God upon us that we're serving the Lord. You know, we weren't sitting at the table, uh, you know, mulling over the somebody that's not there, a missing person that's not there because they're out, you know, estranged or away from God or addicted on something. But we were rejoicing that we were around the table of our family that is serving the Lord. And I thank God for that today. Uh, but um, I want to minister this morning on a thought I've entitled entrusted by God entrusted by God and this is a uh, uh, a message uh, out of the Christmas story and so in Luke chapter 2 starting with verse 8 I'm going to read this uh, uh, several portions of scripture here but it says and there were in the same uh, let me start with verse 7 and she speaking of Mary brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. That was by design, whether you realize that or not, that was by design. Because Jesus was the lamb, and the purpose uh, for the, him being in a manger was not only because there wasn't any room in the inn, but because the shepherds would hold and, 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 and house and, and uh, what's the word I want? Um, there's a word that's not coming to my mind, but um, where they would just stay in that place. They would be there in that place, in that manger, until it was time for sacrifice. Amen. I preached that before, and I forgot that I said it. And then Kevin alluded to it in a message two or three times back, and he brought it out. And I thought, Lord, I'm glad that I remembered that this morning. Amen. But... Uh, she brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall see the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. And it came to pass, as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, Let us now go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which is come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. 
And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today, for this wonderful, glorious time to celebrate the birth of our Savior. And Lord, even though we know that December 25th is not the, necessarily the day of Jesus' birth, it is, really doesn't matter. What matters is that we celebrate His birth. And Lord, today I just pray that as we begin to minister this word this morning, that you will be glorified. And the blessedness of such an event, God, will be so real to us and resonate with us, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that you will minister to this congregation and you will have your, fir- you will have your, your perfect, perfect will will be accomplished this morning, Lord, among us and in us and through us. Speak, Father God, I pray in the name of Jesus by your Holy Ghost. And we give you all the glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen and amen. Now, I've entitled this Entrusted by God. What a blessing to celebrate the birth of our Savior. It was glorious then, and it's glorious now. Amen. It was glorious then, and it's glorious today. And it affected everyone in different ways. Think about that for just a moment. And today, I want to share it from what the shepherds experienced and kind of give you a little bit here. You know, it is an awesome privilege to be used by God. I'm going to tell you right now, if you've been used by God in any capacity, it is an awesome thing to be used by God. It's an honor, in fact. Mary and Joseph both were used by the Lord. Mary was an incubator for the very Christ, our very Savior. Joseph was a covering to her. I think that's one of the greatest things that is overlooked is that he was a covering for Mary and the situation. And uh, But wise men gave proof that God loves Gentiles too. <laughs> and he can talk to anybody, even somebody that may be pagan, he can talk to them. He can minister to them and he can stir something in them that is a discovery or a desire to discover and search out and know God. You know, and even uh, Caesar, Augustus, unaware that he was being used, was used to decree a tax census, thus fulfilling the prophecy of Micah chapter 5 verse 2 that there was going to be a child born in Bethlehem. So it was very important to fulfill prophecy that Mary and Joseph were in Bethlehem when Jesus was born. God crosses every T and He dots every I. Don't ever forget that. But everything was by design and by prophetic utterance and it was fulfilled. Now the shepherds were given the second greatest entrusting. Think about it for just a minute. Why the shepherds, you say, Pastor? Number one, because God often uses the foolish things for His eternal purposes. 
Amen. He used me, so I can tell you, he uses foolish things. He uses base things. He uses you. I'm not saying that you're foolish or you're base, but I'm telling you that he will use those, amen, that seem to be the least qualified to be used by God. One thing that God is after in using you and me is that we're just making ourselves humbly available unto him. He needs humble servants, but he needs available servants. A lot of people only want the blessing of God, and God will bless you. But church, let me tell you, we need to be servants that are a blessing and that want to minister and be a servant with a servant's heart. But God often uses the foolish things for his eternal purposes. Those which are humble are lifted up. It says that in the Word of God. I was reading this morning in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 23, and this is what it says. It says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. God will honor you as you are humble before Him. And we know that James said He gives more grace to those that are humble, those that, are, that, that, that begin, to, uh, you know, begin to be humble before Him. He extends greater grace because that's the God that we serve. Amen. He looks for willing vessels, but He also looks for humble vessels. And so number one, God used the shepherds because of who they were, because of their heart or their spirit and their attitude. Number two, and it was humble. Number two, the Lord knew they had knowledge of a coming Messiah and he responded to their heart and their desire. Blessed are they that hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. The blessing is in the beginning, not the end. The blessing is that you and I have a heart for God in the first place and God will always come and respond to a hungry heart. Amen? Isn't that beautiful today? So God is never random, but he's intentional. He's methodical. I had one of our students ask me this week, what is methodical? I said, there's a method to what you're doing. I said, God is methodical. God is intentional. And he has a perfect will in all things. Just think about it. John the Baptist was prophesied over 400 years before he was even born. Go to Malachi on your own time. And you can read it. John the Baptist was prophesied that God would send a messenger with a message and he would be the forerunner to to Jesus Christ. Well, we know that that came to pass. In fact, in just a chapter before in Luke, you'll see that as he was born in his life. But God, it just goes to prove that God is intentional. God is not random. Nothing that the Lord does is an afterthought. It wasn't just that there was no room in the inn. God wanted Jesus born where he was born so the shepherds would find him. Hallelujah. So God entrusts who he has prepared with his heart, his, his, his desire. He entrusts those that have his heart, that have a heart after his own heart. Why did he make David king? Because David had a heart. After God's own heart. Why did he go? Jesus said I must needs go through Samaria. Because there's a woman at the well there. That's a hot mess. But she is the perfect candidate. To go and minister the gospel. 
Come see a man that told me all the things I ever did. Amen. You look at people and you think they were just crazy in the world. God saves those kind of people and He uses them for His will and purpose. Thank God. Thank God. Now I want you to note what happened in verse 9. The Bible says, And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone around about them, and they were sore afraid. Talking about the shepherds. Think about this for just a second. What an awesome event this was. What an awesome encounter. The glory of the Lord shone. That's the Shekinah glory in essence of what we read about in the Old Testament. It's the same glory that was there that spoke out of the burning bush to Moses. It was the same glory that was on the mountaintop in Mount Sinai. It was the same glory that came down whenever Elijah began to pre- pre- prepare the sacrifice and God answered by fire. Same Shekinah glory. Same presence of God. Same power where the presence of the Lord is is an awesome thing and whenever you and I come into or anybody I should say comes into an encounter with God it's going to bring you to a place where you are on your face before him where you realize and you have a reverence and a fear Moses was told take your shoes off for you're standing on holy ground amen think about that for just a moment think about that Isaiah said in the the year King Uzziah died I saw the Lord. He was high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. He was flat on his face before God because of the fear and the reverence of the power of the Shekinah glory. John the revelator in the book of Revelations, John the beloved, was fell prostrate prostrate on the floor on the ground he fell flat on his face because he was like I'm in the presence of God the apostle Paul on the road to Damascus fell flat before on his face as the light began to bring him to a place of humility and submission so when you come into the presence of God I can tell you there needs to be a holy fear not a treacherous fear but a holy fear, and you will reverence him. Amen. We had a service one time, and I've shared this before, but it was so powerful in this house, and it was about 15 years ago. But we had a beautiful service. The power of God was there. It was one of those kind of services where people don't want to get up from the altar, where people don't want to leave the church. They're just sitting there as the music's playing. They're praying. They're just basking in the afterglow of God's presence and His Spirit. And as I'm up there, I'm standing behind the pulpit, and I'm thinking, Lord, you know, I don't even know what to do. He said, don't do nothing. Just let me do my work. I don't need you right now. And I'm just basking in his presence. Kevin's been there. We've had those kind of experiences in the church. I love it. It's awesome. And some guy who was completely aloof to the encounter and presence of God walked up to me in front of me in front of the pulpit. He said, at the end of the service, I'm just I'm just in God's presence. And he said, what do you think about the Lakers? I was like, are we, 
are we in the same service? Are we in the same? I just couldn't believe it. I just stood there behind the pulpit, and I just looked, and I said, Brother, right now, I don't know nothing about the Lakers, nor do I care. You need to be thinking about the lake of fire. Because if you can be in this service and it went like that over your head, you need a dip at Calvary. You need to come and get right with God. Because I can tell you, were we all in the same? I mean, even the men that were with Paul on the road to Damascus knew something took place here. What am I saying to you this morning? Let me get back to my message here. There is something powerful about coming into the presence of God. And that's what happened to the shepherds. You know, I remember at camp, I'm just the Lord just reminded me of this. And everybody was trying to do what they knew to do. But we were in that cafeteria from 9, 9.30-ish or something like that, 9.20, until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. The Spirit of God fell so powerfully. Kevin just wanted prayer, and, and, and he was going to pray, and then he had to go, but he didn't go. Amen. He stuck around because the presence of God came upon him. The Holy Spirit came upon him and upon everybody in that cafeteria. It was like a fire, man. It just shot through that place. But they had made soup and lunch, and after it was close to 3 o'clock or somewhere around there, and they were like, what do we do? They're wanting to serve soup. And I got soup, and I sat down, and I looked in front of them. I couldn't even eat it. I was so, I was like, Lord, I can't even eat this. It's not that, you know, I don't want to eat. I just can't. I just feel like that. If I sit here and eat in this kind of atmosphere, that it's just wrong. I feel heavy conviction. So I just pushed it to the side. And, uh, but God came in that room powerfully. And he'll do it again. But when you come into his presence, there is a, a, a holy fear. And the shepherds had that. But the angel said, don't be afraid. Okay? I know that you have that reverential fear. We've got that already taken care of. You didn't stand up and say, what are you doing here? You know? <laughs> no. He entrusts. And the entrusting comes with a visitation and a holy fear. And that's what's so awesome about this. The shepherds had that. They had a humility about them. They had a desire to know who Christ was. And they had knowledge of, uh, you know, the Messiah as well as the, the, the visitation and the holy fear where there's a visitation and the entrusting of God is a prophetic word of hope and blessing to us. The angels spoke and they said, Behold the good tidings of great joy to all people. There's a Savior coming. He's here. He's, you're going to find Him born in a manger. Not only is He a Savior, but He's Christ the Lord. He's the Anointed One. He's a King because He comes from David's lineage. 
And this shall be a sign, they said in verse 12. Unto you you shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The only sign that we need is Jesus Christ and that he has come. <laughs> People say, what do you have for the youth? I said, Jesus. What do you have for the children? Jesus. What do you have for the marriage? Jesus. And the marriage really need Jesus. Amen. We need Jesus. He is the answer. When you begin to apply the work of the cross of what Christ did, it will heal everything. It brings a healing. It brings an answer. What was significant about the sign of a babe? Number one, that he is a babe and that he came humble and meek, lowly and innocent. This is something powerful. He didn't come conquering. He came lowly and meek, but he went out of this world conquering. As a conquering king and a conquering Christ, and we preach that. But the nature of our Savior is a lamb in a stall. Even in the, even in the book of Revelation, as you read about the throne, I know he's the lion of the tribe of Judah. But those elders said, when John said, who shall open the scroll? There's nobody here worthy. The Bible says a lamb, as it was slain, came out of that crowd, company of people. Because I can tell you he's a lamb, but he's a conquering king too. Praise God. That ought to go to show you that there's several different offices of personality or of character about our God. He's a God of love. He's a God of compassion. But nobody ever makes him a God that would judge. But he is. He will judge one day in righteousness. And he's going to judge everybody according to what they did with Jesus. Did you make him Savior? Or was he just a figure in, in history that you never gave any, any belief or faith or response to? My pastor used to say that. I never forgot that. He said, one day we're all going to stand before God and the question is going to be asked, what did you do with Jesus? How did you respond to Jesus? Did you respond at all? The shepherds responded and he hadn't even been crucified yet. But they responded as he is the answer. He is the hope that we have. He is the humble and meek and lowly. You know, uh, Lamb, He is that Savior. He is the Messiah. And, and, and the nature of our Savior was, of course, as I said, He's a lamb in a stall. But Luke uses the terminology swaddling clothes and they translate into a medical bandage. And why is that? Because He was born to die. Don't miss heaven's perspective in this moment when the angels came to the shepherds. It was the greatest news, even though he's going to die. It's the greatest news that could ever be given to a lost world. How do you know that they were rejoicing? The Bible says it. It says, and suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace 
and goodwill toward men. That is what heaven was saying. They were saying the rest of the world may have not even noticed that he came. In the most cataclysmic moment in history, they missed it. But heaven was resounding with praise, glory to God in the highest, and goodwill to men. Hallelujah. Peace on earth and goodwill toward men. It's an awesome thing if you stop and you think about it and you consider it. Don't miss heaven's perspective. It may have been bizarre to shepherds and an unregenerate world, but all heaven is rejoicing. Not only were they rejoicing at the Savior, the Bible says that the heavens rejoice over one soul that is, comes to Christ. When people come down and they give their heart and life to Jesus, my dad used to sing that song, and we ought to do it more often. They, somebody gets saved, and he'd close out in that little church singing, There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. And the white-robed angels sing the story. A sinner has come home. Well, there's a new name written down in glory. And it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. And with my sins forgiven, I am bound for heaven evermore to roam. There's a new name. The angels rejoiced at his debut. And they rejoice over you and me. And the Bible says they look into the salvation that we have with wonder. They're wondering why you don't accept the greatest gift God ever gave men. Amen. All heaven is rejoicing. God will be glorified through this peace and goodwill to all people. The shepherds experienced what none other did to a degree, not even the visitation in the magnitude, and because we, we don't read about it. Now, we don't know, but we only know what we've read and has been recorded. And Luke would only record, he wouldn't, wouldn't embellish. So it was a glorious thing out there in that shepherd's field. And there was none other, not even Mary and Joseph, that experienced this glorious, to this glorious degree, the, 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 the pronouncement of Christ's birth. <laughs> why not the noble? Why not the prominent? Or why not the affluent? Because, verse 15 tells us, it came to pass as the angels were gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds said one to another, let us now Go even unto Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord hath made known unto us. They didn't look at each other and go, do you really think this happened? Do you, I, I'm going to tell you, if I, there are people that have had things happen in their life and they still don't believe. They've got signs. They've had powerful things happen. They've watched as God is delivered. They've watched God do, and then they still falter and 
and waver in their faith. Let me tell you, when you've seen God do something, even if he didn't do it so much in your life, but you've seen him do it in somebody else's life, that ought to give you hope. Sitting in this place are people that used to be bound by a lot of things, but God has changed them and saved them, and that is a testimony unto us that God is real. So they didn't say, do you think it's true? Do you think, what should we do? No, they said, let us now go into Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass. They had an active faith. They had an active faith. If people would just act upon what they say they believed, we'd see a lot more things happen in the house of God. But they believed that it came to pass. They believed it. You know why people come to church? Because they are excited. They believe God's going to speak something to me. Anything can happen in a Holy Spirit-filled environment. Amen. Anything can happen. I come with anticipation. And I want you to know today, God can move he can move. He can move in a in a dead church. He can still move. Amen. He can still move. I remember hearing a, a pastor friend of mine from down in in in, in Alabama, uh, uh, um, and he began to he began to speak about um, uh, about a, a church that was a denominational church. Eddie Sullivan was his name, is the pastor's name. But he talked about a denominational church and, and a little girl had been, you know, reading her Bible and she read where the Holy Spirit would be poured out upon us in a baptismal form. And she went in and the Lord told her, go. The Lord spoke to her, said, go in and have your pastor lay his hand upon you and I'll fill you. And so she went into church and she told him, she said, the Lord told me, she's about nine years old, if you will just lay your hand upon me, God will fill me. Amen. Hallelujah. And here is a, 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 a denominational church that was very dry and very, you know, as Brother Clinton used to say, dry as last year's corn uh, husk, you know, or last year's bird nest. But dry, no life there. And the pastor said, well, I, I've never done this before. And so he started looking through his prayer book, and he's looking for a prayer, you know, because some people uh, use prayer books. And I'm going to tell you, we just need to pr pray from the heart. You don't need a prayer book. You don't need anybody to tell you what to say just pray amen just seek God just say Lord he he will he will bless and honor and is more uh, happy and pleased with somebody that just speaks from the heart and just speaks what God is saying to them you don't need a prayer book just go to the Lord and say God help me and he'll help you he'll speak through you just pour your heart out to him you do it to other people Tell me we don't know how to express ourselves. We're passionate about our emotions and our expressions in this generation. Amen. But she said, just lay your hand upon me. God said, if you just lay your hand upon me and pray for me. And he's looking through that little book and he said, I don't have a prayer like this. She said, please, just, well, he laid his hand upon her and the Spirit of God just shot through him. This old dead preacher. And she got filled with the Holy Ghost. She fell out in the floor. 
The whole church was touched by that. That little girl began to stand up and she began to minister in that church. It's powerful. So God can use anybody. He's just looking for a willing vessel. He's just looking for somebody that believes him. And the little girl believed him and she stepped out in faith. She acted upon what she believed. And in essence, the pastor did too, according to what she said. Amen. Aren't you? I, I, don't, I don't want, you know, last night I said, Lord, the world, you know, you're reading all this stuff on the news and they're talking about how that churches were closing their services and this and that and all of these things and churches were closing services because the attendance was going to be down nationwide, you know. And, and I said, Lord, this is, this is a tragedy, you know, that, 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 that the churches are closing down. He said, for the most part, the majority of that ain't nothing but religion. You hear me? He said, but my church is not religious. They're relationship people. He said, make... Make no mistake, my life never dies. It's eternal. It thrives. It thrives in people that desire for that thriving to come to pass. Hallelujah. And, and if you've got life in you, you affect everybody that's around you. You touch everybody that's around you. In fact, there's probably people here this morning because of the life in you. Why not the noble? Why not the prominent? Why did he go to the, the shepherds? Because they had an act of faith. They believed that it, would co- that it came to pass. And God entrusted them with this prophetic declaration. Why? Because they made it known abroad. The Bible says, And when they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. Let me just share with you, your personal encounter and experience is your greatest evangelistic asset. I said it on Thursday. I said, there are not four Gospels, there's five. So all the people that thought I was preaching heresy were like, I said, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and there's Becky. There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and Kevin. Because there are people that don't read the Bible, they don't go to church, they don't know anything about God, but they're watching you as a walking epistle every day. What kind of example and testimony do you put put out and have? They're watching you. They're watching you. I had a kid, I say a kid, he was uh, my peer, he wasn't a kid, we were about the same age. His name was Jonathan Munger, I'll never forget. We worked at CFI, this was while I was at Living Waters in 1998. And I invited him to church, invited him to church, and finally one day he came. Now we had three or four or five guys down there in the shop that they always, you know, they, 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 they said they were Christians. I took them at their word. I didn't, I wasn't down there around them. I didn't know anything about their life. I knew nothing. But just that people told me they're Christians and they would tell me, yeah, I go to church, I'm Christian. So, you know, so I thought, all right, praise the Lord, you know. But Jonathan Munger came to church with Jonathan Skiles. And he came when I was at Living Waters, and he sat in that service, and then he left the end of the service. And Monday morning, I saw him. I said, I'm so sorry I didn't get to talk to you at church. That's a bigger church. 
I'm on the platform. I'm leading worship. I have responsibilities, and I couldn't just come down there. And I said, so I, I apologize, you know, but I said, I'm so glad you attended. He said, yeah. He said, you know, uh, I wanted to come where you go to church. And I said, you know, um, I said, if you went with the other anybody else down here, you know, because I know you where you live and everything. And, and he said, no. He said, I'm not going to go to church. I wanted to go to your church. And I said, why? He said, well, let me just tell you something, Jonathan. He said, and look, I'm telling you what he said. I'm not saying look at me. I'm telling you what he said, okay? This is exactly what he said. He said, I read the same dirty magazines they read, the guys down there that say they're Christians. He said, we all drink after work, and we all do this, 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 and this, all these things that I do, they do. And he said, but you don't. And he said, that's what makes you different. And he said, why would I want to have anything to do with people that are the same way I am? That's why I went to church where you go to church. Because I said, there's got to be something to this. The world's looking for somebody not to be a hypocrite. You say, well, you know, we all struggle with things. I realize that, but you know what? There's a lot of struggles that people say they have that are just excuses. And you just need to get right with the Lord and you need to stop. We're supposed to live a godly life and God gives us the power to do that. And, and, and there's nothing in that Bible, I preach it on Thursday, that God doesn't deal with us about that He won't give us the power to overcome. And so getting back to this, they were entrusted with this prophetic declaration because they made it known abroad. Your personal encounter is your greatest evangelistic asset. You're experiencing God because it's not what you say, it's who you are. That which you've seen and heard declare that others' joy may be full also. That's what John, the beloved, said in 1 John 1. The things which I've seen and heard, I declare unto you that your joy may be full. We seen him. We felt him. We saw the life of Christ. We experienced that. And what we've, what we've heard and learned just like the shepherds, we're going to go and shout it from the rooftop. Think about this and what God has done in you. What a privilege that he would visit us and grace us with his presence. What a blessing that we have the presence of God in our life as Christians. What is man that thou art mindful of him or the son of man that thou would visitest him? I can tell you this. You are the object of God's love and favor and entrusting. That's why he sent his only begotten son. The Bible says in verse 18 that many wondered. But did they come to the manger? Probably not. We don't know for sure, but we know it says that they wondered. A lot of people need to stop wondering and they need to start coming and being obedient to God and surrender. God longs and hopes for us to take this great truth to a lost world. Great visitation comes with great responsibility to take to the street the most wonderful message God ever gave humanity. That you can have this peace. You can have goodwill. And you can have Christ.
And you can move from a place of fear of judgment to a place of confidence that there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. Praise God. Because in that message is his glorious birth. He's wrapped in swaddling clothes in a manger. In that message was his glorious birth, prophecy fulfilled, and a message that he is our Messiah who is, was born to die, but he ever liveth. Amen. He ever liveth. Praise God. You say, well, this isn't Easter. I know. But the gospel isn't just that Jesus was prophesied and born. It isn't just that Jesus died on a cross. Doesn't stop there. He's not on that cross anymore. He's not hanging on that cross anymore. That's the reason there's no Jesus on that cross. Because he rose from the grave. Amen. Some people only know him as baby Jesus. Some people only know him as Jesus on the cross and they stop there. But you and I have to know him as the risen Savior. And not only the risen Savior, but but the ascended Savior who sits at the right hand of the Father, ever living to make intercession for the saints, expecting till, you know, the enemy be made his footstool, and he is also the soon returning King of kings and Lord of lords. What a Christ. What a Christ. What a God. Hallelujah. So the gospel isn't just one aspect of Jesus. It's all of them. Because he's the author and the finisher. He finishes what he started. And he ain't finished. He's finished with the work of the cross. But he's not finished till he comes back. And he comes back and takes his people home. And establishes new heaven, new earth, new Jerusalem. What an awesome thing that we're going to live in a city where the sun is the light. Where he'll wipe every tear from our eye. Tears will never stain the streets of that city. There'll be no wreaths of death hanging on our mansion door. Teardrops aren't welcome beyond the gates of glory. Because the heart will never break anymore. Hallelujah. What a Christ. What a God. So let us rejoice today. But see the blessedness of being lowly, humble shepherds. The spirit of a shepherd, the heart of a shepherd, is that he could use somebody that's humble. Amen. Come before him humbly. Say, God, use me. He doesn't use the qualified. He qualifies those he intends on using. Amen. Because ain't none of us qualified. He's looking for a willing vessel that says, who am I? What do I have? He said, Moses, what you got in your hand? A rod? Stretch it out. Throw it down. Let me show you what I can do with simple base things. He can use you. He can use you. He can use somebody that you feel like, what do I have to offer? Nothing. God can use you. That's just what he needs. So let's rejoice in what he's done. And today, receive this, Lord, and trust me 
entrust me with an experience, with a message, with, with, with you know, this, this drive and passion to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You can trust me, Lord. I'll do it. I'll go. I'll go where you tell me to go. I'll do. That's the, that's the heart of Calvary. I'll go all the way to the cross of, of Calvary for the salvation of the soul of man this morning. If you're not a believer this morning, what an awesome thing. Jesus was born for you, but you can be born again. Born, what does that mean, Pastor? That means your dead spirit comes alive. You've lived in your flesh. You've done what your flesh has wanted you to do and what your soulish man wanted you to do. But you have never experienced what it feels like for the spirit man to come alive. And when he does, you look and you go, wow, I was living for myself my whole life. But now I want to live for Jesus. That's what being born again means. You receive Jesus as your savior and your spirit man comes alive. It's called redemption. It's called salvation. It's, it's, it's the work of God in you. And he'll do it for you today. But you got to do what the shepherds did. Step out in faith and act upon what I've preached this morning. And let me share, sitting around this room are people that did exactly what you need to do today if you're not saved and you're not a Christian. I remember when Gabe was sitting in a chair and he got out and he went down. I believe it was on Halloween. God saved him on that Thursday night, I believe, or Sunday night. I don't know, but he saved him. I watched him. Gloriously got born again. I remember as I've watched different ones, as you stepped out of your seat and you came down here to the front, people just need Jesus. They just need to get right with God. That will take care of everything. Oh, you simplify it, Pastor. That's how simple it is. Amen. I don't understand that. I asked my dad, explain salvation to me. He said, it's just the power of God. I said, Dad, please explain it to me. He said, son, I can't explain that to you no more than I can explain how a black and white cow eats green grass and makes white milk and yellow butter, but it does. And he said, just enjoy what God has done. Don't put the expectation on him to explain everything and every mystery that you're trying to figure out. Just that's the problem with people. They just need to receive and accept the blessedness of salvation instead of trying to get all the answers to questions that don't matter anyway. What matters is that my life, let the power of God touch me. I don't care. Just let it, what, you don't have to explain everything to me, God. Just touch me. Just save me. That's what we need. Would you bow your heads in prayer? Thank you, Jesus. Oh, what a beautiful day. What a wonderful day. Thank you, Father. Father, today I just thank you for the wonderful presence of God. You are a mighty and an awesome God. And I pray today, Lord, that you will come and you will meet us here again, Father, in this place. Lord, that you'll touch every heart and every life. If there's somebody here today that's not saved, that you would draw them by your spirit, by your power, by your anointing today. And you will minister to every one of them, Lord, today. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you.